Troy, could you start off by introducing yourself? My name is Troy Hunt. I started the website Have I Been Pwned? And I, I normally do a lot of traveling and speaking, just not at the moment. For those who don't know, what is Have I Been Pwned? And what was the impetus for creating it? So Have I Been Pwned is a data breach aggregation service when there's a data breach and that data then gets leaked somewhere externally at varying degrees of public accessibility. I grab it, I put in a Have I Been Pwned and I make it searchable so people can figure out where they have been pwned. And I started it in December 2013 and somehow it became big and popular. Before we get into the weeds of everything you do though, um, much of our episode is going to concern the history of passwords. So from what you know, I've read some of your blogs on the matter. Uh, Can you give us a minor history? So how were passwords dealt with back in the day? And how have they changed as computers and threat actors have evolved? So passwords on computer systems go back to around about the 60s. So we we believe the first instance of a password uh, outside of just normal usage. I mean, we, we would have had passwords thousands of years ago, but passwords on computer systems go back to MIT in the 60s and they had this compatible time sharing system where you had multiple people that could use the same physical infrastructure. Of course, it was very big infrastructure back then. And the password was the way of ensuring that whoever was using it was identified and they weren't able to use a system on behalf of someone else. So many of the things that we we started setting in place around how we authenticate to a computer system began now, what are we at, 60 years ago? And how early on did hackers figure out that they could take advantage of passwords? So how did they do so back in the day as opposed to today? Oh, look, I'm sure it only took them a day or two. <laughs> you know, it doesn't take very long to start figuring out what passwords other people have. But I, I guess where we started to have much greater problems with, with passwords is as we started getting more connected systems. So it's, it's one thing to have to be physically present in order to use a system, particularly if it was in a, a secure facility on a university campus. It's quite another once we can start dialing in. And of course, particularly as we get through to sort of the the 80s era where we do start to have a lot of online systems, we've now got a lot more accessibility from remote locations. You've got much greater ability to be anonymous. This is when we really started to see upticks in abuse of passwords. So you deal with a lot of broken passwords, cracked passwords. How easy or hard is it, in your view, to crack most people's passwords today? What methods and tools do hackers have at their disposal? How effective are they? Well, we we got to sort of consider what we mean by that. And I guess the first thing is is the, the strength of the password that people choose. And we know that the vast majority of people out there have a very small number of passwords that they reuse across many different services. Uh, this is why credential stuffing is such an effective attack today. So your average person is going to have, uh, let's say, a password they use on their social media, something they use on their banking. And when they have to use a PIN, they're going to use the same PIN everywhere. So we've got the reuse problem. The other problem we've got is the strength of the secret itself is normally very weak. Uh, Now, a strong secret would be something which is pseudo-random, say generated by password manager. Uh, A weak secret would be a common name and perhaps with a number on the end and an exclamation mark to satisfy password composition rules. So the the strength of the secret itself in the first place is usually problematic. Uh, And then, of course, we've got the issue of, well, when we talk about cracking passwords, how are passwords stored? Now, many systems still store passwords in very weak cryptographic fashions. They use old hashing algorithms such as MD5. Uh, Whether it's salted MD5 or not, it's still really the same problem. 
Increasingly, we see stronger mechanisms of storing passwords, but that is still a small percentage of the data breaches that I see. Right, and we're going to get specifically into MD5, but first, what is Pwned Passwords for our listeners who don't know? So Pwned Passwords is a service within Have I Been Pwned where when there's a data breach and there's a sufficient number of passwords available in clear text, I drop them into a great big list, and this list has got 555 million records at the moment, and then I make that list either available for download if people would like to be able to, to run this service offline or accessible via an API that implements an anonymity model. And what happens then is that people integrate that into the workflow of their registration or authentication or password reset within an application. So that the ultimate goal here is to be able to say, let us try and stop people using passwords which have already appeared in data breaches and are consequently at higher risk of being abused. What is the process in collecting this massive amount of password data? The process pretty much boils down to, do I have access to a bunch of passwords in clear text as part of a breach? Uh, so, for example, there was a, a couple have just been sent where there's, in one case, 1 million passwords and another one about 7 million passwords. And then I grab those, I drop them into a database that I, I run locally here, and I see how many of them are new and where there's a sufficient corpus of new passwords. So let's say 20% of them are new. So there's a couple of hundred thousand new passwords. I start to roll that into a local version of Pwned Passwords. And once I get to a sufficiently large size of new ones that haven't been seen before, then I, I push out another major release. Do you ever go about the process of actually reverse engineering passwords to get more data? Or is that outside of what you do? Certainly not for pwned passwords. And the main reason is, is that, look, it, it is time consuming and there are a bunch of other people that do it. So there are, let's take, uh, let's take LinkedIn, for example, LinkedIn passwords were stored as SHA-1. Now, there are other people that have gone through and cracked around 99% of those and there are lists circulating around. So uh, yes, I'd grab that list. But not only is it time consuming and it's not something that's my 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 main strength there's other people who do this better than me but it's it's the sort of thing that that i can just I, I don't want to say delegate because i'm not exactly asking people to do it people go out and do it of their own free volition the only time i tend to do any sort of reverse engineering of passwords is, is part of data breach verification so if someone sends me a breach and let's say it's all md5 hashes and i'm having trouble verifying it i might take the name of the service go through and create an MD5 hash of that string, uh, search through the passwords. Uh, are people using passwords that are named after this service? Because if they are, that's going to increase my confidence that this breach did actually come from the alleged source. Right. I have a question now about the data that you get. After the first 100,000, the first million, what percentage of new passwords that you find are actually unique? Yeah, not many. <laughs> so it's it's become increasingly rare to actually go through and find passwords that haven't already appeared uh, in data breaches, uh, and that's you know that's that's kind of a bit of an alarming, uh, I guess, trend. Insofar as what we see is is the same things over and over again. Now, passwords which have already appeared in previous data breaches can be there for one of two reasons: either the same person has been in multiple breaches and they're using the same password. Or there's two people and they've got a dog with the same name or they went to the same university in the same year or whatever other natural keys, for want of a better term, go into making up people's passwords. And, and regardless of how you cut it, every single one of those is, is obviously a bad way of choosing a password. So in a blog post that I read where you were introducing Pwn Passwords, you wrote, and I'm quoting here, 
It goes without saying, but don't enter a password you currently use into any third-party service like this. <laughs> so let's not assume for a moment that it goes without saying. Why did you, Troy, build a service and then tell uh, people not to use it, or rather how it should be used or shouldn't be used? Uh, I had the best of intentions. <laughs> you know, like I, was, I was like, I know this looks fishy, so don't use it in a fishy way. And I had up the top of the Pwn Passwords page. So if you go to Have I Been Pwned Today and click on Passwords, you won't see it there. But I had at the top, big bold text, yeah, don't enter any password you actively use here. Like if you had a password which you thought, ah, oh, maybe wasn't too good and you've now gone and changed it and you just want to establish the fact that it had been seen before, fantastic, do that. And then the things on like CNN and mainstream media and reporters are going, just go here and enter the password you use. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like I tried. But... As much as that obviously pains me, there's another part of me that sort of says, well, look, I know what I'm doing with the data that's entered into here, which is nothing. If someone does go and enter a plain text password, and almost certainly the service is going to come back and say, look, this password is terrible, and then they change it as a result, then I'm okay on the net positive of that. And hopefully it's not preconditioning people to enter secrets into places where they shouldn't be entering secrets. Few people on Earth, I imagine, have witnessed just as many passwords as you have. What can you say about all of our passwords that we might not already know yet? I think predictability, not just in the passwords themselves, but in the way that we create them, and particularly the way we adhere to arbitrary composition rules, is what I find really fascinating. So... Back in the day when I used to be able to fly places and go and do talks and things, I'd do this talk about the history of passwords. And no matter where I was in the world, and there'd be yeah, hundreds of people in audiences, and I'd say, okay, imagine you go to a website and the website allows you to register and you've got that same terrible six-character lowercase password you use everywhere. And the website says, you must have at least one uppercase character. What do you do? And like in unison the audience across cultures says, I capitalize the first letter. And everyone kind of laughs because it's like this nervous laughter. It's like, oh, no, the hackers have figured this out. You know, we're all doing the same thing. And then I sort of say, okay, well, you know, now you've got to have a number. What do you do? And they go, I'll put a one at the end. And now you've got to have a non-alphanumeric character. What do you do? I'll put an exclamation mark at the end. And everyone's sort of laughing by this stage because like, the entire audience is just saying the same thing at the same time. So I, I think the really fascinating insight here is that those arbitrary complexity rules were put there because they meet this mathematical definition that, that signifies greater entropy. And if everyone generated passwords in an entirely random fashion, that would be perfect. But of course they don't. So I think it's the human aspect of passwords which is particularly fascinating, and this just goes to show how predictable we all are. Right. Now, I want to give you a counter-argument, and you'll tell me what you think about this. Okay. Basically, my thinking is, as we do research for this episode, we can generally assume that most people know what password best practices are. We all know complicated letters and numbers and symbols, yada, yada, make it long, make it unique for each website. Putting aside maybe password managers for a moment here, even though, you know, they come with their own risks, is it fair that we all feel bad about how poorly we use our passwords, even some of us who know what to do? are reusing passwords because we can't remember them to all of our accounts or we're using bad passwords because those are the only ones that we can remember. How much of the fault, I guess I'm asking, should be laid at our feet rather than the system of static text passwords itself as an authentication mechanism? 
I think part of the observation there is that people know that they're adhering to weak practices and they feel a bit guilty about it. And look, I, I certainly know every time I drill someone on this, it's like, how are you actually creating passwords? The answer is usually pretty sheepish. So I, th I think there's an interesting sort of sociological observation there that, that people know that they're doing, air quotes, the, the wrong thing. There's then another discussion about uh, our websites allowing them to sort of fall into the pit of success versus just repeating the same old bad practices. And I, I think what you meant there is, you know, do, do we not have a better mechanism than passwords that we can start pushing out? But I'd also argue that even even just normal everyday account creation, we're often making it very hard for people as as the, the people that actually build these systems. I just created an account on a, on a shopping site this morning to try and buy my daughter some clothes because I've got to buy everything online these days and creating the account was painful. And I tried to create the account and it failed and then it said, oh, your password's longer than 15 characters. So, oh man, come on, like I just generated this out of one password. Why is this such a hard thing? But then there's a sort of the bigger macro question of, well, should we not be, be moving beyond passwords already? Because we know that this is, this is a weak means of authentication compared to some of the other technical controls we have in place. And that the simple answer to that is, as yet, we just haven't found a better way of authenticating people that doesn't pose barriers that are insurmountable in most cases, such as usability or cost. And for all their flaws, the one thing that passwords do exceptionally well is everyone knows how to use them and they're simple and they're free. Could you speak a little bit about some of the other authentication mechanisms or tools to help passwords be better? Well, U2F is a great example. I mean, U2F is a, is a beautiful mechanism. It, it can't be fish like a soft token or, or even a hard token. We don't have the problem of sending SMS. So we've got enough problems with SMS and, and SIM hijacking. It's, it's pretty elegant in terms of just having the key on your person and inserting it and pressing a button, job done. But the problem is, is that it is a very foreign concept to most air quotes again, normal people. My parents would have no idea what a U2F key is. They were very unlikely to carry one around. And also, they would either have to purchase one or someone would have to purchase it for them. So, you know, here's a case where we've got technology which is, which is beautiful in its execution, but it just fails miserably in terms of affordability and usability. I also want to see if you have any opinions on the even more forward matters of biometrics or those password mechanisms that, you know, are like riddle based. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of those where you sort of take information on the page and it dynamically creates your password using it. You ever hear of these and any of them, you know, strike your fancy? Well, let's break it into two different parts. We'll do the latter one first. The, the whole sort of principle of riddles or creating passwords based on other website-based data. Some people say I use part of the domain and then you do this and then you do that. That really feels like a, a bad middle ground. So it's, it's like a recognition that we need to do something better with passwords, but then not using the one tool that we've got that well and truly solves the password weakness problem, which is which is password managers. Um, the riddle-based examples always fall down when you start to push people. So they fall down in areas such as, well, what happens when there's stupid arbitrary complexity rules that won't let you use a number? Oh, well, then you have to adapt your formula so now you've got different formulas for different sites. What happens when you need to change your password because you're worried it's been compromised on a website or you're forced to change it, which is a different problem. So that creates issues there as well. The, the biometric side of things 
Look, I, I love biometrics. I have uh, Apple devices for my mobile things, and I use Face ID on all those. Uh, I use Windows Hello with the with the biometric uh, camera, with the infrared camera, and, and uh, sort of the, the Logitech Brio kind of job for my Windows authentication. And I've got uh, thumbprint readers on my laptops. So I think that they are absolutely fantastic. And what we've got to think about with biometrics is that first of all biometrics are an augmentation of a password they don't replace the password I still have to have a password on all those devices because I need fallback positions if I go and have a nice relaxing bath one evening and then come out and try and log on to my laptop doesn't work <laughs> because your fingers all all messed up if I'm in the snow and I'm trying to log on to my my phone doesn't work because I'm wearing goggles it's uh, we, we've got to have fallbacks uh, then of course you get people that are very critical of biometrics for very various reasons so one of the reasons is this this motherhood statement which i hate but they say biometrics is identity it's not authentication and so okay great <laughs> what do you actually mean in practical terms and they say well because you can't change your face or your fingerprints you shouldn't be using that as authentication and, and the problem is, is that people sometimes look at biometrics as a somehow equally comparable means of authentication to passwords. But if you have someone's password, then you can go and use it immediately in the form that you have it, assuming clear text password, of course. It's, it's easily reusable. You just type it in, it's job done. If you have, let's say you have a copy of someone's fingerprint. Okay, now what? Well, first of all, you've got to be sophisticated enough to get the fingerprint. Then you've got to be sophisticated enough to create a prosthetic. And then you've got to be able to fool the biometric device within N attempts. Otherwise, most of them will lock out. And in some cases, they'll erase the device as well. And then, of course, the ability to do that and how many attempts are required and how likely you are to pass that is really, really heavily dependent on what the biometric device is. Something like Face ID has been shown to be highly resilient. So now we're in this situation where we're saying, well, they're actually not comparable to passwords and they don't get rid of passwords, but I love the fact that I can unlock my iPhone in front of other people and they're not observing anything that they can reuse. Uh, I love the convenience factor of it, but we're just a long way away from it actually replacing passwords. So how much of the responsibility here is with corporations? In your experience, how well are they doing with protecting our passwords? In terms of, of the organization itself and, and their responsibility, well, look, I mean, very often they're, they're just simply not taking this seriously. I mean, I am amazed at how many instances of MD5 passwords we see even today. Just yesterday, I loaded a data breach from a vBulletin forum, which inevitably someone just hadn't updated or patched for years and years and years, which is still MD5. So I, I have a sense that organizations don't understand that Let's say in the case of vBulletin or any other software package that people get off the shelf and run, software is a living, breathing thing for all intents and purposes, something that needs watering and feeding and caring, that needs to evolve. I find even in cases where I speak to people in organizations, I had another one from a breach just last month where I, I was speaking to someone in the organization involved and I said, you know, look, you, you know, are you aware your passwords are MD5? And in their mind, they said, well, that's only going to be a problem if someone's using a password that's in a dictionary. And I was like, well, okay, first of all, you can calculate something like 20 billion MD5 hashes a second. So no, that's not right. And second of all, just about every password's in a dictionary these days. So I don't think that there's enough understanding within organizations about what the actual risks are. Troy, how do you handle your passwords? 
So I started using a password manager in 2011. I wrote about it at the time and I, I wrote a blog post called The Only Secure Password is the One You Can't Remember. And it was ultimately my journey to, to one password, the, the password manager one password. So these days everything goes into there. Then literally half an hour before recording, I was signing up to two different sites on my iPad. And as soon as I went in there on the registration page, I just auto filled out a one password. Uh, for one of those sites, it was a beautiful experience. It worked really well. And then the other site said, no, your password is too strong. Please dumb it down to like 15 characters. But that is the best mechanism that we have today. And then I follow all of the security guidance that 1Password gives around how to secure that password manager. And you know, it's, it's a combination of 2FAs and secret keys and strong master passwords and fully patched devices and, <laughs> and all the rest of it. And and I do all of that, and then I hope nothing goes wrong beyond that, because ultimately, uh, that's the best we can do at the moment. That's all I got. Thanks, Troy. Cool. Thanks, Nate. Nice to talk to you.